Hi, I'm David Franklin, and you're listening to Episode 5 of Season 2 of the Shintaido of America podcast. Shintaido, in case you haven't heard this word, is an amazing body movement practice, a dynamic and creative holistic health exercise invented in Japan in the 1960s. Shintaido can be a way to open up to a deeper connection with ourselves, with our communities, and with nature. In Episode 5 of Season 2, you're going to hear Chapters 5 and 6 of Michael Thompson's autobiography, Untying Knots. Michael is one of only four master instructors of Shintaido in the world today, the only non-Japanese master instructor, and, significantly, the only master instructor who had no prior background in martial arts before starting to practice Shintaido. In Chapter 5, he describes his first meeting with Hiroyuki Aoki, the founder of this unique movement art in France. And in Chapter 6, Michael travels to Japan for the first time. Okay, ready? Here we go. Untying Knots, a Shintaido Chronicle by Michael Thompson. Chapter 5, Two Encounters. After about six months of my new activity, Mark announced that Aoki-sensei was going to be in France on a short visit, and that if we wanted to meet him, we should attend a practice in Corbevoir in the Paris suburbs. About ten of us dutifully appeared, performed the various exercises in uneven fashion, and then waited to meet the creator of this strange discipline. As I recall, he spent most of the practice sleeping off the effects of jet lag, undisturbed by our yelling and grunting. Afterwards, he seemed somewhat at a loss for words. I think our practice must have seemed very crude to him, at least compared to what he was accustomed to in Japan, and we truly were a diverse collection of eccentric individuals, undoubtedly a big change for someone from a homogenous culture. We gathered around him, seated kneeling in Japanese seiza style, and awaited his judgment. Despite his fatigue, he struck me as being quite tall for a Japanese, but otherwise he was not an imposing figure. At the time, he was in his late thirties. His only remarks, as I remember, had to do with the fact that Tenchingoso contained a great and deep philosophy and that it was up to us to provide our own words to describe what it was. This impressed and intrigued me very much, even though I had but a faint idea of what that philosophy might be. I had come to mistrust people whose verbal facility often masked a lack of depth. Someone once said that philosophers are those who build edifices that they themselves cannot inhabit. At any rate, I liked the idea that I had a form I could continue to explore and the larger possibility that the study of form itself could lead to a higher truth. As I was about to find out during my subsequent association with Aoki, he had the knack of implanting seeds into your consciousness that would continue to germinate and, with luck, sprout into a full-fledged satori, a sudden insight into the nature of things. My only other recollection of this meeting was something he said to me personally. At the time, I looked a little like the writer Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Bushy hair, bushy mustache, glasses. He said something to the effect that I should be careful not to do seated meditation in the seiza position after smoking marijuana. 
He almost lost the points he had scored with his first remarks because this one was ostensibly so far off the mark. On the other hand, it was possible he was referring to an addictive or hedonistic side of my personality. The main result of this encounter was to show me that I could dedicate myself to the study of Shintaido as Shintaido. I had previously looked at it as laying the groundwork for a more traditional martial art or as a means of getting myself into shape. Now it seemed it had its own value, although I wasn't yet able to say exactly what that was. With Mark, it had always been a question of simply doing the movements without worrying too much about what they might mean. He had a slogan printed on a banner in his dojo, or practice hall, that read, Keiko, or practice, means doing and thinking all day long. But his own talent lay with the former rather than the latter. But at the same time, it was exactly the medicine I needed. During this period, I met Jean-Paul Sartre, the renowned existentialist philosopher. A former student of mine at Hobart was in Paris doing research on a paper for one of his courses. He wrote Monsieur Sartre asking for an interview and was in luck, because Sartre tried to make himself available to young people, if at all possible, regardless of how trivial their reasons might be. The student, Chuck Kernick, wasn't too confident that his level of French would allow him to communicate, so he asked me to go along to help translate and to provide moral support. On the appointed day, we headed for Monsieur Sartre's apartment in the Montparnasse district of Paris. I don't remember many details of that interview, which lasted for about an hour. I think he appreciated Chuck's sincerity and answered his questions attentively, my impression was that he truly wanted to be of service to the young people who were trying to change society for the better, but that he was a little ashamed of his role of elder statesman and cheerleader. Perhaps he felt his ideas weren't really understood, but that he was obliged to ally himself with the forces of change, no matter how inarticulate or intellectually confused. After the interview, I had a practice with Mark outdoors in Corbevoir. We did echo, and I experienced a great feeling of relief of no longer being trapped in the musty world of intellectuals. Just running on the green grass into a clear blue sky was my way of expressing and feeling the message of the universe. You've just been listening to Chapter 5 of Michael Thompson's Untying Knots, and this is the Shintaido of America podcast. I'm David Franklin. We're about to hear Chapter 6, but before we get to that, if you're enjoying today's podcast, the most important thing you can do to help is to tell people about us. I want to give a big shout-out to those of you who have already shared the podcast on social media and who gave us a good rating on whichever podcasting app you're using. If you haven't done that yet, it would be great if you could just hit pause and do that right now. Share the podcast on social media and give us a good rating, and then hit play again. I'll wait. Okay, thanks. 
By the way, that's Joe Fall and the New England Bluegrass Boys behind me now playing Bound to Ride. On with the show. Untying Knots by Michael Thompson, Chapter 6, Off to Japan. I stayed in France for two years, interrupted only by one short trip back to the U.S. in the summer of 1972, of which I have absolutely no recollection. Mark thanked me for coming back to study with him for another year, and I accumulated more experiences attending practices and workshops during the subsequent fall and winter seasons. Something, however, had begun to change. Mark's character had always been a little difficult. He would get angry at his students, banishing some and showering attention on others according to his personal whims. I had always tried to maintain an emotional distance from him, which was made easier by the fact that I was an outsider and older than he was. But his relationships with his other students were often tempestuous and ambivalent. There were quite a few instances of flights where a student would suddenly leave with no explanation and then just as suddenly return months later. Favorites were summoned to sleep in his room while the rest stayed in a common sleeping area. I didn't spend much time trying to analyze his behavior, which was capricious and sexually ambiguous, and was never included in his inner circle, in part, I surmised, because I meticulously maintained a home life distinct from the Shintaido commune in Corbevois. This was my first inkling and experience of a cult of personality and, although I would occasionally get caught up in the emotional turmoil, for the most part I was able to keep my distance. In the spring of 1973, Mark went to Japan to attend a special instructor's workshop and he invited me to tag along. I was the only American practicing Shintaido at the time so I think he wanted to show me off to his teacher and colleagues. The flight was seemingly endless with stops along the way in Athens, Damascus, Karachi, and Manila. By the time we arrived in Japan, I was completely exhausted and would have willingly gone into seclusion for a week or so. However, the opposite fate befell me. We went directly from the airport to Yokohama, where Aoki-sensei and some of his students lived. The living quarters consisted of a small house which adjoined the home where Aoki lived with his wife and four young children. It was the headquarters of the Rakutenkai group and three or four of Aoki's assistants were living there at the time. In the fall of 1965, Aoki had formed an informal fellowship of his associates, both martial artists and people interested in applying the principles of Christianity to their lives, and called it Rakutenkai. The name literally means Enjoyment of Heaven Association. For a more detailed description of this communal group, we suggest Origins, a History of Shintaido 
by Shiko Hokari, published by Shintaido of America. Aoki had been impressed with the communal movements in the United States, but tried not to weigh members down with too much structure. The only requirements were that an individual practice at least twice a year, not necessarily Shintaido, and subscribe to the following five precepts. Do not go beyond your own morality. Do not forget your original mind. Do not judge others. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the fifth precept was to be furnished by the individual member in accordance with their personal philosophy. Of course, I knew nothing of this at the time, since Mark, a self-proclaimed atheist and defender of the Soviet system, chose not to dwell on this aspect of Shintaido. I gradually got to know some of the principles. Fugaku Ito, the head secretary of Sogo Budo Renmei, the martial arts arm of Shintaido, Shiko Hokari, who, it seemed, at least to me, was the chief enforcer and most severe senpai, or senior student, and Bokushi Okada, the man of God and the sword. The first names are nicknames bestowed by Aoki on his closest followers. Fugaku means never studies, because that's all he did, at least martial arts. Shiko means protruding teeth, enough said. Bokushi signifies priest. There were others, but these were the principal players at the time, and this was the central meeting place of the Rakutenkai commune. I attended all the practices I could, both in Tokyo and in the park near Aoki's house. I learned that it was in this park that most of Shintaido's techniques came into being, sometimes in the early hours of the morning, since they often didn't start to practice until midnight. Lest the reader conjure up images of a spacious green area, I should point out that to me it was more like a parking lot than a park. It consisted of a small children's zoo surrounded by a walking area made up of paving stones, which is where we generally practiced. It was a little hard on the feet and leg muscles, but I reasoned, if you can do it here, you can do it anywhere. Going from the cow pastures in France to a zoo in Japan didn't seem too illogical at this point. My relations with Marc Bassis continued to deteriorate. I was being introduced to an entirely different side of Shintaido. With the help of a translator, Aoki explained a great deal about the history and philosophy of Shintaido, and some of it was in direct contradiction with what Marc espoused. The latter, as I wrote, wanted nothing to do with the Christian roots of Shintaido. Aoki had become a student of the Bible, and his main concern was the actualization of biblical teachings in the world around him. Mark shared the French attitude of being either for or against Romanism, with very little middle ground for people who might be interested in the wine but not the vessel. I had never considered myself a religious person, Although, like others in the 60s, I had investigated various spiritual disciplines, but I liked Aoki's approach to the Bible, stripping it of cultural and dogmatic trappings. He simply thought that Jesus was the best teacher around and was determined to learn from him as fervently as possible. Since Aoki was his teacher, Mark tried to follow his lead as far as his militant humanism would allow— more dogmatic in its way than the church he reviled, 
But I don't think he was able to really convince himself that Jesus was the first communist. During the course of one practice session, I was doing an exercise with Mark under Aoki's supervision. At one point, Aoki intervened and told Mark that he shouldn't resort to using tricks to keep his student from completing a movement. Mark replied, but he might win. Aoki responded that the whole idea was that, as a teacher, you hoped and expected that your student would surpass you, and that it was going completely against this philosophy to compete with them. At that moment, I think my eyes were opened a bit about the nature of the game we had been playing. I was reminded of Carl Jung's description of his loss of respect for Sigmund Freud, who had been his mentor. They were interpreting each other's dreams, and Freud had one which Jung thought was significant. In order to interpret it, however, he felt he needed more details from Freud's personal life, but the latter refused, saying, But I cannot risk my authority. As Jung wrote, At that moment he lost it altogether. That sentence burned itself into my memory and in it the end of our relationship was already foreshadowed. Freud was placing personal authority above truth. About two weeks before the instructor's retreat, Aoki told Mark that he was inviting me to attend, even though I had been practicing for fewer than two years. Mark had assumed that I would stay behind in Yokohama. He maintained that he could not attend if his student did, and presented Aoki with the ultimatum, either him or me. The rest is history, as they say. The invitation stood, Mark changed his reservation to leave earlier than planned, and I stayed on to attend the retreat. This took place at a beach resort not far from Tokyo. I was more than a little apprehensive, given my stiffness and the brevity of my Shintaido career, to make matters worse, the people I was to practice with seemed like supermen and women. They could put their bodies through contortions and movements that I couldn't even imagine before seeing them. There was a softness and naturalness to their movements which, when added to strength and endurance, served to demoralize me because they seemed totally beyond me. Unfortunately, my reaction to this was to wallow in self-pity. I would tell myself that I was too old or that I started too late to achieve their level of practice. At the same time, I was so far behind them that the absurdity of the discrepancy actually served as a kind of motivation. The first practice consisted of doing the kaikyakusho style of jumping down the beach for a mile and then coming back in Shintaido jump. We all started together, but about five minutes later... They, about 25 or 30 of them, disappeared over the horizon, and I was left once again to plow forward on my own, feeling like Camus' Sisyphus pushing his rock. Night fell, and I heard shouts in the distance. Little by little, I could make out forms leaping into the air. They were on their way back, while I had traversed no more than half the distance. Somewhat discouraged, I kept jumping toward them, and when the first one reached me, Aoki appeared and told me to turn around and head back in Shintaido jump. Energized by my reprieve, I leapt into the air and managed to keep pace for about ten yards, 
when they all caught up to me and moved ahead, quickly disappearing into the night. Thinking again, and not too fondly, of Sisyphus, I threw myself up from the sand, usually to land ungracefully on all fours, crawled a few feet, and tried again. This seemed to last for another hour or so until I made some figures out in the distance and, with renewed vigor, jumped in their direction. They were waiting for me when I finally reached them, and I was greeted so warmly and enthusiastically that all my doubts and self-loathing dissipated, at least temporarily. I don't think I have ever felt so much a hero as I did on that day. There was more to the workshop, but I became more or less a spectator after the exhausting efforts of the first night. What I saw amazed me. One practice consisted of doing standing kicks for over an hour and a half. It was like watching a charismatic church service. Just from doing that exercise, people were in a state of ecstasy, running in and out of the ocean. Bokushi Okada was almost caught up in a strong undertow, but I don't think he would have minded packing it in at that moment. They were yelling, crying, and laughing all at the same time. There certainly was a lot more to this Shintaido than I had ever imagined, although part of it really scared me. Being raised in the Episcopal Church, I have some difficulty with the Pentecostal aspect of Shintaido, but I was beginning to feel that I had been arbitrarily closing myself off to a valid human experience. During this trip, Aoki-sensei became more of a man and less of a myth in my mind. As I wrote, he spent long hours with me explaining his philosophy and aspirations and was very solicitous during the leader's workshop. I think he found it refreshing to deal with someone in the democratic fashion characteristic of Western society rather than always having to play the role of sensei or teacher as delineated in the very hierarchical Japanese society. I have always found him to be somewhat torn between the two poles of his character. On the one side, the individualistic artist, and on the other, the disciplined and redoubtable martial arts master, a tension that has found its way into Shintaido itself. At the same time, I was aware that I was being shown a particularly benevolent side of this complex person. I had heard reports of how his nickname among his students was Blue Devil, because of the ferocity of his response if a student were not following his gore, his direction or teaching, properly. Aoki, when written, means green tree, but phonetically could have several meanings, including blue devil. One story had it that he chased a student who had let his wooden sword touch the ground during a particularly arduous practice around and out of Nogayama Park. No one has seen him since. When it was time to leave Japan and my new friends, it was with a renewed sense of purpose. There was no doubt in my mind that Aoki was the person I wanted to study with from the Western perspective or under from the Eastern. I didn't really understand who he was, but I knew he had something I wanted. Beneath the euphoria, however, was a sadness that I might never be able to attain the level of movement I had witnessed but I was sure now that I was endowed with some degree of physical courage and tenacity, even power, and that I was prepared to devote my life to the study of Shintaido. 
This is the Shintaito of America podcast. You've just been hearing Chapter 6 of Michael Thompson's Untying Knots, and I'm Shintaito instructor David Franklin. We're nearly done, but be sure to listen through to the end of the credits for the cherry. Before the cherry, I'm going to pass the hat around among you who are hearing the sound of my voice and do a bit of busking here on the Information Superhighway. Shintaido of America is a totally member-supported nonprofit organization, and there are many ways to support our truly micro-budget production of educational materials. And I really mean that. We produce a huge amount of content on volunteer power, but some things just require a few bucks in the bank. So one way is to make a one-time donation in any amount, or to become a member of Shintaido of America for $60 per year if you're hearing this in 2023. It would mean a great deal to our hardworking team. You can do that, sign up for our free email newsletter, and also find all kinds of free educational resources at our website, where you can also find all the previous episodes of this podcast, which is www.shintaido.org. That's www.shintaido.org. That's whiskey, whiskey, whiskey. Dot Sierra Hotel India November Tango Alpha India Delta Oscar. Dot Oscar Romeo Golf. Got it? You can also find us on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube by searching for Shintaido of America. And our email address is podcast at shintaido.org. Our episode today was recorded and edited by me, David Franklin, with support from Sarah Baker, Connie Borden, Teresa Soldatova, Jim Sterling, the Joe Zawilski Memorial Fund, and of course, the members of Shintaido of America. Thank you. Okay, here's the cherry. Watching someone practice Shintaido, it looks like a combination of karate, tai chi, primal scream therapy, and modern dance improvisation. On our second European tour, we invited Manta, that's our nickname for our friend David Franklin, to travel with us on the tour bus for the purpose of videotaping concerts and kicking our asses awake in the morning to practice Shintaido. Some of my fondest memories of that tour were running Aiko across a field in Blackheath, England, at dawn, screaming, ah, at the top of my lungs at the rising cloudy sun. That was a quote from an article by rock musician and writer Amanda Palmer, who was on tour with the Dresden Dolls, Brian Viglione being the other half of the band. The article appeared in Body Dialogue, the Shintaido Journal, number 18 in 2006. And guess what? You can find back issues of Body Dialogue, as well as previous episodes of this podcast, all for free at our website, www.shintaido.org. Thanks for listening to the Shintaido of America podcast. Contents of this podcast, copyright Shintaido of America 2023, except for Bound to Ride by Joe Val and the New England Bluegrass Boys. Shintaido, opening to life.